everyone and welcome to Next Generation Saints. I'm your host, Nick Coons. Now, before I get started today with this broadcast, I'd like to have a little word from my sponsor. Welcome back everyone to Next Generation Saints. Again, I'm your host, Nick Coons. So, um, before we get started here, I'm going to go ahead and remind everyone that if you haven't done this already, go ahead and like and subscribe to this podcast. For everybody be listening to this podcast, I'm on all major platforms and whatnot. really helps going out. Also, at the same time, I got a merch store that opened up called Coons T-Shirts. I'll leave the description and the link below. You guys can go ahead and go take a look. All the proceeds go to help out this channel. So, now I'm going to get to the topic here. This episode is going to be for, again, give me an answer. And the question is going to be about all religions cannot be right. In our society nowadays, a lot of the time we have, we come down to um, a societal norm or teaching that all religions are correct. All religions. I remember even my own brother telling me a story back in the day where, and I'll share it briefly with you, and it kind of gives you a general idea of this. He, he gave it a kind of like a story analogy where he said that, imagine that there was a bunch of people, like 10 people who were blindfolded, for example, and uh, there was an elephant in the other room, and all these 10 people were led into the other room where this elephant was, and they're all blindfolded, right? And suddenly they start touching the elephant different One touches its high, one touches its tail, another has a tusk, and the other one's all over the place, right? And someone says, well, the elephant is this. And he describes the certain part that they're touching of the elephant. And then someone else says, no, that's not correct. An elephant is this. And he describes their other part. And it goes on and on for all these ten different people. And realistically, that's what God is. That's what they keep describing this as. That God is really all these different world religions are saying the same thing. They're just describing different parts of God, just like the diff 10 different people are describing 10 different parts of the elephant. They're all correct. They're just all describing different parts. Now, it's a fun belief system to have that says that this is true. It's very popular nowadays, kind of like when you hear Oprah Winfrey or others who say, you know, t t preach your truth, right? They also don't believe that truth is really there, that it's not really existing. Well, truth does exist. It's not your truth and my truth. I like what Ben Shapiro said. It is, it is your, the truth and then there's your opinion. Now, I digress a bit when I came across this. So let me get back to, over to the God part. Fundamentally, I would say that 99% of all religions preach the same thing in, in, in their most, in their, I should say, not fundamentally, superficially, 99% of the different religions preach the same thing. As in, they say that you have to uh, work out your, you know, you got to work off your bad karma, you got to earn your place in heaven, and as soon as you are, basically, you have a bunch of bad stuff, there's a scales right here. And you have a bunch of bad stuff, and it's weighing you down. If you do good stuff, it weighs the scales back, and you're just trying to get there, so, oh, wait a second, your good outweighs your bad. That's realistically what they're trying to say, superficially. In Christianity, the reason I turn around and say that that's not an accurate thing whatsoever, is uh, Christianity teaches that you're a bad person. All right, That's what Christianity teaches. You're a bad person, You, um, along with the rest of all humanity, that we have broken God's law, that we're natural rebels against God, and that no amount of work, since we've broken God's law, which is Ten Commandments, no matter of work we do, will ever be able to go before a judge and say, hey, look, I did good work. It's not going to work. It'd be like, yeah, you did some good work, but you've also, let's say, raped a murdered woman. I'm, I'm pretty sure you've never done that, obviously. 
But it would be like, you still committed the crime, you still need to do the time. So, superficially, 99% of all these world religions, as this podcast is going to go, as Cliff is going to bring up here, um, they are, superficially, 99% of them are saying the kind of the same thing. But, since Christianity preaches a totally different message, they can't all be equal. So, there's the fundamentals of where it's coming from. So, I want you to go ahead and enjoy this episode from Give Me an Answer Again. The title of this is called... All religions cannot be right. I don't think anything's ever going to change that much, but um, I wait, think... Wait, 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 why? What do, you mean, what do you mean when you say nothing is ever going to change my mind? Well, I just know several people from several different religions who are all just as sure that theirs is the correct one and that the other ones are the false ones, and it's all... They can't all be right. Well, how do you grow in faith in Christ? You don't just, I believe, I believe. You, know, you, you allow your doubts to motivate you to study the evidence, to look for truth. I, I'm just going to say one more thing because I don't yeah. know, but um, I think that that would be great if the belief in question was like, um, I don't know, something arbitrary. Um, but when it's something as big as having an impact on millions, millions of people, um, the creation of almost every war, millions of deaths every year, plummaging of towns, so much. Um, I don't think it's, I don't think there's room to have doubts or to have to have faith because you're not sure. Um, I think that sort of requires 100%. If, if someone, if I don't believe in something and someone's belief is telling me, someone who doesn't believe it, what I should and shouldn't do and what I can't do and what's a sin and what's not, then to overstep like that, you better be pretty damn sure. So that's, that's all I would say. And maybe you're different from me. Maybe you're always sincere. Maybe you're always authentic. I am not. But when I look at Jesus Christ, there is a sincerity, there's an authenticity, there's teaching a high moral standard and living up to that high moral standard that demands my respect. And then when I see Jesus die on a cross, be buried in a well-known tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, and three days later he rises from the dead, guys, it's a no-brainer. He's more reliable than I am. That's why I put my faith in him, because the evidence is Jesus Christ is more reliable than I am. That's why putting your faith in yourself like that, I could never do. Because the evidence is I'm very fickle, I'm very finite, at times I'm hypocritical, at times I do the wrong that I know I shouldn't do. I am one mixed up dude. That's why you don't put your faith in yourself. Because guess what? You all are just like me. Don't mean to offend any of you, but you all are just like me, except for one student at MIT. I was speaking at MIT, and a guy raised his hand and said, I've never done anything wrong. I'm morally perfect. Everybody broke out in laughter. Because the guy was lying through his teeth. Obviously, we all know we've done wrong. And Christ offers us forgiveness. That's, he's the way to go. Because the evidence is he's reliable in a way that the options are not. Now, if you've got a better option, please tell me. Because I am a searcher for truth. So if there's a better option supported by more evidence, 
and supports Christ, please tell me. But I've been doing this for 40 years, and I've had the privilege of getting to know some of the most brilliant professors on fine campuses around this country. They have never given me a better alternative to Jesus Christ. What do you think it's like the proof of the soul to someone who is kind of doubting that you have a soul and didn't? Good. Very good question. That is right. That is wrong. And that's a conscience. It's not physical flesh. It's the ability that God has given us in our minds to distinguish between justice and injustice, right and wrong. You can love. You don't have to love. You can be a deadbeat dad one day. Or you can be a responsible dad who loves your kids. You don't have to do either. You have free will and you have the ability to love. Guess what? I hope you marry a woman, not just because she's the most gorgeous woman you've ever seen, but because you love her. In other words, yes, sex is good. It's a gift from God. And sexual attraction is appropriate and good. But there better be something more to love than just sexual attraction. There better be a connection with you, between you and another person, a soul. Right. But Paul also says about to die as Christ and to live as gain or something like that. Okay, good. That makes that up. Or... We can, especially you guys age at college, you guys are philosophizing about death more than you realize, right? You're the furthest away, typically, unless you're going through something serious, from experiencing it. So we can't even get there from a, maybe an evolutionary perspective, God protecting our minds, whatever it might be. We can't even come close to grasping what is death going to be like. We're all going to pass away. Similarly, we can't even come close to grasping how long eternity is. Just how long eternity is. And so when Paul, when John, when so many people talk about how every single tear is going to be wiped away from every single eye and there will be no more suffering, pain, or death, we can't grasp that. We can't grasp that anymore because here there is suffering here that we deal with every single day and we see it with our friends with our loved ones and so when paul talks about this it is such even in that day and time period it was the furthest thing from people's minds because they were treating each other just like clip was saying as dirt every single human body especially females was just a urinal it was just a urinal for people to do whatever they wanted to in any orifice they wanted to and so now what do we have today well 75% of evangelicals think it's fine to live with your girlfriend or boyfriend, to test drive a vehicle before marriage. Promiscuity is huge, and we think, oh, you Christians are so prude. But no, Christianity lifts up the body in the sense of, if you're sleeping around, yes, it's tempting, I'm not, not going to lie, that's absolutely tempting. It, it, we all struggle with lust. And yet, why the Bible teaches such a profoundly, profoundly covenantal relational understanding of our sex lives is because... The physical is not detached from the sacred, the soul, the emotion. And all psychological studies back that up. And so when Paul talks about sexuality, when he talks about death and eternity, at times it seems so limited, it seems so ridiculous. But if you really flesh it out, it makes a ton of sense. Do you think it can be detached, the soul, from the body, or is it just a habit of our like sin, sinfulness, the virus? So attached to what happens to us is going to affect us in our soul. Do you think it's a possibility do have reached that just connectors. I don't think Jesus Christ. No, you kind of see what I'm saying. 
Well, flesh out the end there. What do you mean by Jesus Christ is only... So Jesus is the only one who... Because the way I'm interpreting, whatever happens to your body, it's kind of like contempts you and it hurts your soul in a way if you're acting on those kind of things. But Jesus obviously was immune to those kinds of temptations. Um, So do you think it's possible for someone to get the soul to where whatever happens to your body, it doesn't affect your soul in that way? Like it's not affecting how you react to it because you're able to have that reasoning behind Right, right. Does that make sense? No, I, well, I think I know where you're going. No, I, every action in the body affects the soul in some kind of way. Okay. Even, even sinning, for example, every time you sin, you're doubting God, whether it's his existence, his love for you, his omniscience. Every sin we make, so it's in actions, it's thoughts, behaviors. Every single time we do that, it's the soul being armed by the physical body or, or reverse, dualism, right? There's something going on there that, no, we will not be able to break out of here in, on this planet. Why is objective morality proof of God? I, I think okay. that it is, but yeah. I struggle convincing people that. I struggle telling people that's the case. Like, what are some arguments that I can use to yes. maybe, maybe argue that point? Absolutely. Great question. Okay, so I would start with, are there moral values and is there moral obligation? So is there truly a right and a wrong outfit? Or not? Is there a moral plumb line? And we can all say, hey, that's crooked, based off of what is straight. So... Some people will say, well, we just kind of evolved to eventually get to the point of understanding what's really right and wrong. But that doesn't make sense. We we all know instinctually, like Nietzsche talked about, if you say, hey, serving the person is really good, but if you can actually harm the person and that will help our gene pool get ahead, you got to say that's good too because the whole purpose of living is, is to propagate the species, right? And so Nietzsche said that doesn't make any sense from an atheistic standpoint. You can't argue for moral obligation. So start with not the Christian God. It's just God in general. It's a transcendent source to say there is moral obligation out there. So moral values, moral obligation. Obligation has to do with your speech. You ought not to have done that. You should not do that. And every time you say that, you're smuggling in a type of moral plumb line that is objective. And so when somebody says, hey, your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth, ask them, oh, is that true? Is that true? So you're appealing to a type of personal morality, but not moral obligation. Moral obligation, again, is outside saying, no, this is true, and this is wrong, this is good, this is evil for all. So starting there, evolution, strong eat the weak. It's raise red and tooth and claw. It's, hey, we evolved from apes. Let us love one another. No, that doesn't make any sense. It's instinct. Moral Platonism. Hey, yes, there is transcendent right and wrong out there, but there's no personal being willing it to say this is truly right or wrong. It's just randomly up there. So we can choose justice, right, wrong, and say wrong is right. It it has nothing to do with a personal being who through Jesus Christ showed us what is right or wrong. The biggest argument I've heard against it is, is cultural or cultural relativism, you know? yeah. and I always hit the wall there because, like right. you said, it's it's different how cultures interpretate this sense of objectivity. Right. Cannibals will not just go up to you and kill you and say, "Oh, I'm really hungry." No, they're going to have to dehumanize and convince themselves that you are not human beings before they eat you. The Nazis, the generals, had to br- break puppies in half, rip them in half, to sear their conscience the point of saying the Jews, they aren't really human. Dehumanize them. Dehumanize puppies. Dehumanize the actual human being. Now I can slaughter them. 
in the most vicious way imaginable. So dehumanizing a human being cross-culturally, studies show, is really wrong, is really evil. But if you sear your conscience, sure. Totally seared, totally brainwashed. I, I, I've had schizophrenics in my office before who, who have gotten very mixed up as to what is really right and really wrong. And they're gonna be judged differently for their actions. And yet there's a moral standard out there when we really get in touch with that moral standard and understand it. Yeah, great question. Every atheist friend of mine lives a good life. Every atheist friend of mine understands the difference between right and wrong. We are not saying that if you're an atheist, you don't have morals. That is not what we're saying. So be, beware that that's gonna hit you when you use that argument. What we are saying is, in reality, if there is no God, then the moral system that you've created, or that your culture has created, or that I've created, is relative. Meaning by that, it is not real objectively. It's an opinion. Similar to, do you like asparagus, broccoli, or corn? And you say, well, I like corn, Cliff. Okay, that's not an absolute. That's a preference. So, if morality is relative, it's simply a preference. I prefer to be loving than to be hating. I prefer to live a sexually pure life than to live a promiscuous life. I prefer to love and respect all people rather than to be racist. But you've got to acknowledge it's just a taste if there is no God. That's all we're saying. Finally, I am convinced that every atheist has a conscience because they're created in the image of God. And so what I'm trying to do with the moral argument is to point out, you can't live out what you say you believe. You say you believe morality is all relative. You cannot live it out. Someone breaks into your house, murders one of your kids. You're not going to sit back and say, well, my preference would have been for him not to have done that. No, you're going to cry out with moral outrage that is evil. We must promote justice. Guess what? Every atheist lives that way also. I struggle to even talk about religion, for that matter, with people who aren't religious, yep. because they can't even agree on the principle that morality is objective. So I, I always feel like I have to have that conversation before I can even talk about God. Good. People will argue with you intellectually. If they're going to be honest, they know they can't live it out. You cannot live moral relativism out. Because if you've got people you love, and when you watch those people get worked over and burned, if you just think, oh, well, it's just a taste. I don't like the way they were treated. You don't really love them. Because if you love somebody and you watch them get burned and ripped off, if you're not angry, you don't love them. He's my son. Someone does something to him to hurt him. If I say I love him, but I don't care whether someone hurts him or not, I don't love him. I could give a rip about him, right? So you see, you cannot live moral relativism out. It, it, it's impossible, except maybe for your psychopath, right? Then maybe you can live it out. Guess what? None of my atheist friends are psychopaths, okay? They're all very wonderful people who do a lot of good things. It's one of the reasons I like them so much. 
But you see, there's a major problem in their thinking. It can't square with their experience of reality. So yes, I do try and work on that one. Thank you. You bet, man. It's one thing for you to show Christianity to an atheist and say that Christ isn't God, but it's another thing for you to show Christianity to a Muslim or a Jew and say, oh, and they say, well, Christ isn't God, Allah is God. Why do you think that God allowed for different interpretations of different things to be awesome? All right. I wish that I could stand here and say, I am totally objective intellectually. Whatever the truth is, I'm gonna go for it. I'd be lying through my teeth. I got a bunch of prejudices, a bunch of cultural influences. I've got some desires deep within me. I try to be objective, but I'm often blinded. And I got my blind spots. Guess what? I kind of like the idea that there is no God. Because if there is no God, I can do whatever I want to do. No guilt, no problem, I just let it rip. And I think that's a little attractive, not just to me. I think that's attractive to every single one of us. The idea that I can do whatever I want to do, boy, that's attractive. All right, so that's a good reason to be an atheist or to be agnostic. And I would argue God has given more than enough evidence for any thinking person who's objective, who's searching after truth to see him. In other words, what I'm saying is, an atheist and agnostic are running away from God. They're not being totally objective, because just like me, they've got their own prejudices, they've got their own desires, and I certainly have them, and I hope that they will come to the point where they admit that they've got them as well. Okay, so we move from there to, okay, Cliff, but what about the person who says no to Christ, but yes to Muhammad, or yes to Siddhartha Gautama Buddha, or yes to the avatars of Hinduism. I mean, what's going on here? You cannot read the New Testament and ignore the fact that Jesus warned about false prophets, that the Apostle Paul consistently warned about false teachers. There is truth and there is falsehood. Now, why would I accept falsehood rather than truth? because a falsehood might conform more clearly to my prejudices. And Stuart brought up the issue of fear. If I've got a Muslim pointing a gun at my face and pointing a gun at my family, telling me that if I don't convert, they're gonna wipe them all out, I will be sorely tempted to convert to Islam. But that is obviously not why the majority of Muslims believe in Muhammad, right? But obviously, holy war, jihad, has been used by Islam consistently. So. So much of this issue has to do with the human heart. My prejudices, my cultural influences, the environment I grew up in, what do my buddies believe? And it's incredibly difficult to be objective, but that's what Christ calls us to be, to be objective, to search for the truth and to embrace the truth. But I bent over backwards today like never before to tell you the truth because it just hit me hard this week. I miscommunicate if I say, 100% sure Jesus is the truth. No, I'm not 100% sure. As a thinking person, I can't be 100% sure about anything. Because there's always a possibility that I'm wrong. And guess what? I think it's good to admit that. And the Christian who says to me, oh no, I don't doubt, I believe. I say, I think you and I have a different definition. 
Because I think if you believe totally 100%, you'd never sin. Because sin is basically saying, I don't trust you, God. I'm going to do it my way, not your way. Well, I'm not there. I sin every day. And the fact that I sin shows that I don't take God too seriously when it comes to this area. So it's a fascinating issue you raise, this issue of pursuing truth, and then how, how does that work itself out in our lives? Deny God, agnostic, or false prophet, false teacher, false God. And it's fascinating how often the false God that, I, that people believe in looks a lot like them, looks a lot like their culture, their influences. It's hard to be objective. What about like a situation where like someone's born as a Muslim and they are grown up in like a culture that's like all around them and they are never introduced to the gospel in that way. Very and I know good. you can see like the truth of like God and like the design of nature and stuff like that. But what does the Bible yeah. kind of say about sometimes that are exposed to the gospel like that? In Hebrews chapter 11, there's a partial list of people who've never heard the word Jesus. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, Rahab. The list is rather long of people who never heard about Christ, but who in humility put their faith in God. They responded to all the light that God gave them, and they're going to be in heaven. But Hebrews 11 makes it real clear that they're not going to be in heaven because they lived good lives. They put their faith in God. Also, the New Testament makes it real clear that the only reason those people will be in heaven is because Jesus bled and died on a cross to pay the penalty for their sin. Right. What if the the God, though, that they're like the light they've been shown is in their interpretation Allah or something like that? Is that still? I don't know. Okay. That's a great question. I do not know. Now, I thought it was incredible today the way that gentleman from Nigeria who's standing right over there spoke. I mean, that was profound, that stuff he said. And one of the things I'll never forget is he said, some of my friends and fellow citizens of Nigeria had a name for God, and it wasn't Jesus. But when they heard about Jesus, they said, that is the God we believe in. And it wasn't because of some colonialist. It wasn't because Jesus was jammed down their throats. They had a genuine spiritual hunger. They believed in some type of God. But when they heard about Jesus, the light went on, and it was very clear. This is the God who we believe in. If I buy myself a house, yes. if I buy myself a nice house, yes. is that not God's will because that money could have gone to restoration? Okay. I was speaking at Harvard. Student steps out of the crowd and says, Man, Cliff, you got it so easy. Every time you need to make a difficult ethical question, you just go running to your little magical book, the Bible, and there God tells you how to live your life. And I said, you got to be kidding me. My wife and I are building a house right now. And if you think I go running to my magical book, the Bible, and there God tells me whether to buy a Westinghouse or a Kenmore dishwasher and how much money to put into my house. You're nuts, buddy. Come on. I have to existentially struggle through in light of the fact that I have a little sliver of the solution for starving babies' lives. Buy food connectly and give it to starving kids. How on earth can I justify keeping so much for myself? And sir, I, that is one of my hardest questions, personally. 
And so that's why I like you asking, man, because we're out here to be vulnerable and honest, right? Okay. So for me as a follower of Christ, that is probably at the top of the list. And guess what? I really question whether I'm doing it right. It's hard. You talk about being blinded by my culture. You talk about being blinded by people I love who want more. And then having to make a decision, okay, what does more look like? And how much is too much? That is one of the hardest ethical questions I have to deal with. A lot of my buddies work on Wall Street, and they do very well. And they put their faith in Christ. And so the challenge is not to lay a guilt trip on anybody. That's not the point. But the point is to responsibly work through what does it mean to love starving people in light of how much money I have. Obviously means I got to give a bunch away. But how much? I don't know. That's why I got to pray for wisdom. That's got to why I got to pray that the Holy Spirit gives me a sensitive heart to this issue. And I love you, brother, for asking it. You're in college. Think about it. So one, I'll tell you one quick story. His younger brother in finance, okay, in Manhattan. And when his younger brother was a teenager, he said, hey, Dad, can I be a Christian and own a yacht? I have not allowed him to forget it. He says, Dad, why do you consistently bring that up? Quoting me, can I be a Christian and own a yacht? That's a real simple, Ian. It's because you and I have feet of clay. We like some of the finer things in life. And yet God has called us to something bigger than just enjoying the finer things in life. Nothing wrong with it. So we're not going around feeling guilty all the time. But we got to ask ourselves that hard question and pray it through and think it through. Are you a Catholic, brother? You're a Catholic, yeah? All right. So one of my heroes is St. Francis of Assisi. I mean, that dude did some serious thinking and some serious living out his faith. St. Francis of Assisi was incredible. Okay, why are human beings valuable? See, if there is no God, where's their value? Exactly. You know where their value is, the size of their bank account. You know where their value is. How many muscles? Am I stronger than somebody else? Or am I more athletic? Or am I more intellectual? Or am I more musical or artistic or whatever? And that is an incredibly superficial basis to base human value on. No, you're creating the image of God. Meaning by that, you were created by God to reflect his character. Okay? So, first one, why are human beings valuable? The second one, what is the purpose of life? Jam on it. Come on, Mom and Dad. I'm in college. I'm, I'm trying to make some decisions about priorities. Your priorities tell me what your purpose in life is. All I got to do is read your checkbook and read your day timer, and I'll tell you what you're worshiping. The way you spend your money, the way you spend your time, tells me what you worship. So what's the purpose of life, mom and dad? Or whoever, brother, sister. Third question, what's the basis of your ethics? How do you live your life morally? Should I cheat the IRS if I can get away with it or not? Should I lie when I'm going into her job interview? Or should I tell the truth? Should I pad my resume or should I not? What's the basis of your ethics, mom and dad? I'm struggling. It's tempting for me to do certain things like pad my resume. 
A lot of football coaches and basketball coaches certainly have done that to get a job at some prestigious school. And then the fourth question is, Mom and Dad, I'm going to be sitting at your funeral probably one day, unless I die before you. So what should I be thinking about maybe seeing you one day? Yeah. Is that a possibility? Or when we all die, do we all rot? Case closed. See, those four questions. Why are we valuable? What's the basis of human value? Secondly, what is the purpose of human existence? Thirdly, what is your ethical system? And fourthly, is there life after death? I'd like to invite you to Grace Community Church, located at 365 Lukeswood Road in New Canaan, Connecticut. Our services are at 9.30 a.m. and 5.30 p.m. on Sundays. Hope you can join us. to next generation saints you know i hope you guys really enjoyed this episode i hope it blessed you in some particular way i hope that you it caused you to think some more about your worldview and your position of where you where you sit at and um i hope it really blessed you and maybe got some questions answered maybe i answered nothing for you uh if you'd like to i do have polls on these podcasts um and again i'm just gonna remind you if you haven't subscribed liked and subscribed to the podcast Go ahead and do that. It really helps out. But again, I also put polls down there. So basically asking, do you guys like these episodes? Do you not like these episodes? What would you guys like to see some more of? What do you guys want to see less of? You know, stuff like that. So go ahead and fill it out if you feel comfortable doing it. It usually takes only a couple minutes out of your time. Not a big deal. Um, But it really helps out. So until next time, we meet again. May God richly bless y'all, my dearly beloved.